I'm Trent Norris, fund manager at Sterling Capital. And this is Michelle Nipko. I'm the podcast host, and welcome to the One Trade Podcast. Hi, Trent. Hi, everyone. So the doctor is ordering the neck brace could come off after about after a week after last Friday's crazy market moves. You know, looking at it from peak at the start of the day to the trough, the S&P went down 133 points into bear territory, then back up 70-ish points to close up 0.57 for the day. What a crazy day. You know, it's either a great time or a terrible time to be a day trader, depending on if you anticipate these huge moves. But man, if you can anticipate on them, good on you. One thing is for sure, people are making and losing a lot of money with these these huge suites that we're seeing. But but generally, we're seeing a, a general bear market trend down. So um, speaking of making money here in the One Trade podcast, we started discussing shorting the market. Thanks to you, Trent, on uh, February 21st of this year with Datadog. From there, we've discussed DoorDash, GameStop, Lululemon, Builders First Source, and Cheesecake Factory, all all talking about uh, shorts and um, potentially buying puts. I'm proud to say we were calling these relatively early. It seems like mainstream media is just catching up with the one trade podcast. So uh, good <laughs> right. job, mainstream media. <laughs> and uh, as for you contrarian traders, uh, if you believe this out there, maybe it's a sign that things are going to start going up since uh, we're starting to see this in the mainstream media. But who the heck knows? Uh, Trent, what are your thoughts on everything that's going on? Well, hey, Michelle. So... What I, how I'm seeing things is Jay Powell again this past week continued his hawkish tone. And the Fed talks about full employment and how the economy is strong. And this is very stock market unfriendly. All right. It means that they're on the path to tighten until things break in the economy. And, you know, politicians on both the left and the right are being bombarded with the problems that inflation is causing their constituents. And so we, we talked a little bit off air about this, that 90% of stocks, 90% of equities are held by the top 10%. Oh, wow. Right. So, so 90%, the other 90% that doesn't have the majority of the stock market, they're all being influenced by inflation sure. uh, negatively. Right. And so they they're going to turn around and they are going to influence their politicians to do something about it. It's painful right now with basics, food, right. gas, and, right? And, and Right. And so this is very, very stock market unfriendly because what the stock market needs is it needs for the economy to start struggling for people to get laid off. And so that Jay Powell can focus on that side of supporting the economy. Right. And that's just not where we're at yet. And that can come quickly. But that's why I'm going to remain bearish here. Me too. Me too, Trent. Yeah. And, you know, there's just so much political pressure to fight inflation. And the stock market is such a far second at this moment. And I think it's just something that still few people realize since this two thousands, 
So basically post.com era, the stock market and real estate are what drives the economy. And, and very few people understand this concept. So what happened after the dot-com era is Alan Greenspan, who's the chair, he stepped in and lowered the rates to 1%. And if if our listeners, or Michelle, you're familiar with the movie The Big Short, uh, the first sure. scene with Michael Burry, he's kind of in this conundrum talking to this new hire that he hired at his firm. And he's saying, hey, let me ask you, do you think it was odd that real estate in the Bay Area, right, the mecca of the dot-com bust, didn't fall during the implosion in the stock market in the early 2000s, but actually continued to rise. Well, he didn't really go into it in the movie, but basically the reason that real estate did that is because Alan Greenspan stepped in and lowered rates to 1%, all right? So money got super cheap. And right. then that fueled the housing boom. And then we know about all the tricky loans and all that. And the banks starting to do, right, they're going to take advantage of that as well. That's so, impetus to 2008 crash. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. So, yes. so I would argue since 2000, the stock market and real estate is what drives our economy. So the Fed drives those things and those things drive our economy. Now before, so the 90s and earlier, the stock market and real estate were a reflection of our economy. It's com- the game has completely changed now. Very few people understand that. And I think that's really important to sit back and don't just take my word for it, but look into these things, think about these things and decide for yourself how you view how our economy actually works. So Trent, what do you mean by they drive the economy? What, what do you mean by that? So cheap money, right? And liquidity drive asset prices. Asset prices go up, right? And then as asset prices go up, there's more money in the economy, and then there can be more investment and things into startups and and, and all types of business. So that's like, it's almost like it influences the entire business cycle. It's so just everybody, there's just more money. So, right. right, So, 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 yeah. So, so when you have cheap money, people can borrow more money and they can buy real estate. Companies can buy back their stocks. People can borrow money cheap and start businesses. All right. And so we've just, our, our entire system is hooked on cheap money. So essentially where we're at right today is the Fed saying we are going to raise rates. So money's be, going to become more expensive and we're going to roll off our balance sheet, right? Of, of, of the bonds that we bought. So essentially we're not going to support the stock market and real estate like we have. Then they have to do that. And and really, real estate and stocks are overinflated, like we've talked about, Absolutely. right? The, 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 and like you were saying, uh, 90% or 10% of the wealthiest own 90% of the stock market, right. right? Or have their wealth there. So that leaves that other 10%. It's hard for them to afford it. Housing is very hard to afford right now. So it just has been creating that wealth gap. So I would argue, and we've talked about this before, Trent, that by bringing it down, it makes things more affordable for those people that are just entering the market into a realistic price. And um, also, like we've talked about, if, if you just look over time, we kind of need to mean revert. We overshot our mm-hmm. mean, mean line if you looked at it over time. So um, to to just get to a, a normal growth, it has to come back down. Right. And there's going to be a moment where the Fed does panic and does do a pivot. And we just don't know where that 
where that moment is. And, and I would just argue that it's not going to happen until things start to break down more, right? Till, till the economy slowing down becomes more of the issue than the high inflation prices that that's what everyone's still talking about currently. But there is going to be a moment where they're going to come in and they're going to try to support things the only way they know how. So when Jay Powell talks about these right. tools he has, really the only tools he has is to stimulate things because the other tool he has is what he's doing now. And that's called the wrecking ball. And that's exactly right, what we're right. seeing. But, but he's overstimulated, right? That's why gas is so expensive. Right. These things are so expensive. So by stimulating, they've made things, they've sort of broken the system. Exactly. Right? <laughs> they went way too long on the stimulus, right? The quantitative easing. And it's not just the Fed. It's also Congress, right? Handing out all that money and governments deciding to lock everything down. It's it's almost like the stock market is now reflecting what it should have really reflected during COVID. Right? Oh, like, interesting. Like, right. It's like a if good you point. Think, yeah. It's if you think point. about COVID, it's like if you were to talk to someone who is gone now and say, hey, what do you think would happen if, you know, governments just shut everything down? Do you think the stock market would be up or down? They they would say it's it'd be down a tremendous oh. amount. Right? For sure. But it should have. Everybody was sitting at home. But no, it, it took a quick, you know, you know, month or a few weeks dip and then rocketed up with all the stimulus. And so mm-hmm. I, I just continue to say that look, on the upside, it's the trend is your friend and don't fight the Fed. If the Fed is continuing to provide liquidity, don't fight them. Don't short the market. Don't just just continue to be long. Work with it. Sure. Right. Now we're the exact opposite. Right. So it's the trend is your friend. We're in a downtrend and don't fight the Fed as they are tightening things. So people who are still what I see is is still a lot of people and and I sympathize, but there's a lot of people who are just hoping that things magically turn around. And I don't it's been like that for so long and it magically turned around during covid. Right? I think people are trained. Well, it magically (laughs) turned around because of the Fed. And Congress doing the double barrel shotgun approach of providing max stimulus. So Mm -hmm. until we see something like that, we're just going to pick the easy trades. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, you know, that, that we've had to kind of change course, you know, um, a few weeks ago, we decided to get completely into cash, uh, for my fund and to just focus on strategic, uh, shorting, you know, using puts and, and it's worked out, it's worked out really well. And, but, but here's, here's the positive thing. This is really exciting for people who are in cash or have some cash or have at least a portion in cash. Folks, things can get really cheap. Like they can overshoot now to the downside. And so we can pick up stocks at prices that, you know, you wouldn't imagined a year or two ago that you could get things at right? Values. And and that's how you build this incredible wealth is you build it when things get extremely undervalued. And so to me, it's a positive and it's, it's very exciting. I know there's a lot of people hurting. There's a lot of people watching their 401ks and they're probably not sure what to do at this point. And I'm not a financial advisor and I can't tell you what to do, but, um, I I would just say you have to make that decision for yourself and, and figure out, you know, how, how you want to, um, engage in this market. 
Mm-hmm. But, for sure. But, I would argue I had my best returns on my 401k was working for a company during the the Great Recession of 2008, mm. where everything crashed so much. And I just kept putting in my 401k, just kept putting it in. And then, man, I got some really nice returns after that. Right. So it will come. It's just a matter of, of when. And, and right. you know, during the downside, I was losing. So. Yep. Yeah. So that's definitely one approach. You can just continue to buy as things get cheaper, dollar cost average. Uh, mm-hmm. My thing is, you know, with that is what I'm thinking about, and this is just my take, is that was the first time in 08, right, that we ever had quantitative easing that with Ben Bernanke and all that, right, with the big bailout. And so right now, they're just not able to do that because we didn't have high inflation then. So we have high right. inflation. So once again, they're kind of handcuffed. So not to sound uber bearish, but that's the situation we're in now is they really are handcuffed with what they can do because the inflation component is so prominent. They need things to slow down. They do. Yep. They do. They, they need to decrease demand. Right. <laughs> to bring prices down. Or increase supply, but that's pretty tough right now across the board. Right. So. Yeah, they don't really have much ability in that. So, or no, they don't, sorry, they, they don't, don't have much control over that. Yep. Good point. Um, something else that I would argue that's new that didn't exist during these previous downturns is the crypto market. You know, it's such a nice run up, especially during COVID, right? People had this extra money, they had time, and it, you know, it's 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 fun to invest in it, right? I think there you're a group of people that are cheering for this currency to go up, right? So it's it's kind of exciting and I can really see the appeal. And the market's open 24/7. Right. So it can be pretty darn addictive. Um, kind of like gambling in Vegas. <laughs> Not unlike gambling in Vegas. Great point, Trent. Um, and you know what? There's been a lot of wealth made within this new arena. But it'll be really interesting, interesting to see how this recent decrease impacts the greater economy since this is a new asset class right? We've not seen this history. We can't say, oh, let's look at the data that we saw in crypto when inflation was X, right? This is the first time. So it would be really interesting to see as we look back on this, um, how it all turns out. So just with this new asset class. Right. Well, I I think the one area that we can look at is back to the dot-com era. And I, I was saying this a year ago is Sure, crypto can go to the moon, but then expect for an implosion. And what we need is we need from those ashes for the few cryptos to be the Amazons and the Googles, right? In the future, right. just like they were in that that era, that generation, we're going to see that in crypto. So the time to start really researching this stuff and to see, you know, what who's what's for real and what's not is now to get prepared. So a positive there is you want to buy crypto when people who owned it hate it, when they are over it, when they are sick to their stomach and are, I hate using this word, but puking this stuff out. You just want to wait for that smoke to clear and then you can start to accumulate some. But yeah, never buy into the hype because that's not how you make money, right? You can make quick trades that way and make some quick money, but making the real money is trying to, is, you know, 
doing the research now, figuring out the the crypto technologies that look interesting and just wait and just let right. the prices come because they're right now they're in a massive downtrend. So I, I right, I've, I heard the peak of that hype was the Super Bowl, right? The exactly. Super Bowl commercials. Oh, mm-hmm. that that it, it's it's like that every time. It's like it's like Dogecoin when Elon went on Saturday Night Live. I think that was the actual peak, right? It anti- mm-hmm. the market's so smart. It anticipated that moment happening, and then the moment happening, and that was a sell. That was a sell into that strength moment in the market, right. just like the Super Bowl. Yeah, when you have Matt Damon like pitching <laughs> cryptos, or I didn't see that commercial, but whoever I heard he was and other celebs, it's over. Like mm-hmm. the, the party the professionals is done. know that. Right. They know to take their mm-hmm. their money and run. Right. And that's when you short yeah. micro strategy. Right. So mm-hmm. all right. So I now I'll say that one of the positives is if you're in the market for a used Lambo, um, we'll probably see a lot of those coming up for sale. And uh, uh-huh. we probably will also see a surge in McDonald's applications is my guess. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so an interesting fact from Twitter that I just saw and I sent to you, Michelle. So in 2000, mm-hmm. the bear market, this is after the dot-com uh, crash, the bear market lasted 638 days. In 2008, the bear market lasted 349 days. And according to this Twitter account, and there's different ways to calculate this, they have us at currently 96 days. And so the average bear wow. market over the last 100 years has lasted for three or four times longer than where we're currently in. So I just want to let people know that that is a possibility, especially with how high the market's gotten, how long the bull market was. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying the Fed isn't necessarily going to pivot, you know, in the next few months. I don't know. Your guess, everyone's guess is as good as mine. But I will say that when markets get extremely overbought, they can go to extremely oversold. So, yeah, it's a good point. Some keep mine. Yep, it's an excellent point, Trent. And we can learn a lot from looking at history. So just keep those averages in mind. And I think it's good to look at that data. And as we saw out of uh, Bank of America, who also did this analysis, they were anticipating the end of the bull market, I think, in October and for S&P to be down to 3000. I mean, that's that's a long way from now. So, right. uh, yeah, I just I think it's a good good time to be cautious. But as you said, Trent, it's also going to create. Oh, I saw this. My husband was reading this funny article about uh jokingly women are going out to buy stocks because they're going to be on sale (laughs) (laughs) for sure i'm there like (laughs) and trent's going to be there too and y'all should be there too right i mean they're going to be on sale so just like trent was saying that's where real wealth can be generated is getting in at these times it's hard to create real wealth when you're buying at the top right but these nice low prices that's the time well right if you buy a stock at a hundred dollars and it goes to a hundred and twenty whoop de doo you made 20%. If you were eyeballing a great stock at 100 and it gets down to 10 bucks and you're able to write it back in a few years to 100, that's a 10x. That's the asymmetric trade. Right. So, all right, on that note, let's talk about the trade of the week. And that's yes, good. it's another shorting opportunity. We're going to use puts if I end up doing this trade. So, kind of with the theme of, and I think we've been early with this and we really, I think, got this with the builder put idea, like the shorting, the builder, the housing kind of stocks. So 
I thought of one this week and actually it has earnings on Wednesday, but it's William Sonoma. So it's a retail stock. Plus, it's a housing stock as well, and and it's a and it's a luxury housing stock, and it's a luxury, and yes, it's kind of my premise that the thousand dollar espresso machines were kind of purchased during COVID, right? The stay at home when people weren't going out for coffee and things like that, and and they had extra money, right? To spend. And mm-hmm. I, I absolutely the interest. The funny thing is, I absolutely love Williamson. I remember as a kid, I would Me go too. there with my mom, and we would just look at all just the the just amazing things to buy for the kitchen and i love the i loved going in there at christmas time and remember they do the the spiced you know uh what is that apple cider right and and, and just the smell and just the the, the overall feel so uh, this great gives, presentation right this gives yep. me no pleasure in, in in shorting this but I, I i'm looking at this chart the chart just looks like it's falling off a cliff uh we saw the actual the the implosion and William Sonoma did already get hit. So fair warning on that. It got hit with the the debacle in Walmart and Target and even Costco mm-hmm. that's going to report this week already got hit. Right. So it, basically, it's been this retail Armageddon. So, but I I right. do think there is more to fall, and um, it's something to possibly look at on the short side. I like it. It follows on our theme and everything we've, we've been talking about during this uh, podcast today, Trent. Um, and something else I'd like to mention, just to warn everybody this week, uh, Fed Chair Powell is speaking again. Does It feels like he speaks every day. Come on. <laughs> right? But it just moves the markets. And you, you don't really know if it's going to go up or down. But shoot, that market moves when he speaks. So he's speaking on Tuesday and then FOMC um, meeting minutes are coming out on Wednesday. Right. So just a little uh, warning out there for everybody to watch for that. Right. So, uh, and, and we are yeah. due at some point for a huge bear market, rip your face off rally. That's coming. Even mm-hmm. if the bear market continues, like I suspect it will, right, until the pe- the Fed pivots, it, the be ready for bear market rallies and short squeezes you know, these things absolutely can happen and they will, they will happen in, in, in a bear market. They'll continue to happen. I think the word is volatility. Right. <laughs> the one thing we can expect for sure is volatility. Uh, I dream of those boring days where it's like, oh, the market might move 20 points. No, no, no. It moves 20 points in three minutes these days. So, <laughs> uh, all right, Trent. Well, I like the trade of the week. It makes a lot of sense on a lot of different levels, right? right? Uh, housing, luxury, and retail all combined. And the stock is like $108 right now. So it has some room to move. Right. It was $35 in the COVID low. Yeah. Or so, so, somewhere yeah. around there, right? Yeah. It's a good, good call. I like it. All right. Well, let's have a great trading week, everybody. Take care. All right, everyone, stay free. And that's the podcast. If you like the podcast and would like to hear more each week, don't forget to subscribe. And of course, we'd always appreciate a review. If you'd like to contact us to learn more about Sterling Capital or just to say hi, you can email us at onetradepodcast at gmail.com. Let's have a great trading week, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. And now for the required risk disclosure. 
The material in this podcast is presented solely for informational purposes and is not to be construed as solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any securities or any related financial instruments, nor should any of its content be taken as investment advice. One Trade Podcast accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss or damage of any kind arising out of all or any part of this material. We recommend you consult with a licensed and qualified professional before making any investment decision.